welcome to the 37th episode of Total Pop Mode, your weekly gaming podcast. My name is Will, and I also go by Hoodafunk, and I'm joined here once again and always by my good friend, co-host, and fellow gaming enthusiast, James, aka Mr. Bames. What's going on, you perfectly perpendicular poodles? Coming up this episode, we've got our weekly regular games catch-up, followed by a roller coaster of a week in the gaming news section, and then finally, shambling onto the rambling towards Completionist's Corner. What did we play this week? Find out later. But firstly, with the introductions done, let's move on to the socials. You can, as always, find the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and pretty much anywhere else you get your podcasts by searching for Total Pop Mode. We also post regular video content via playthrough stream highlights as well as the podcast on our YouTube channel, Total Pod Mode. You can also find us on Twitter by searching for at Total Pop Mode, all one word. And whilst you're there, you can find me at Mr. Bames, and I'm also on Twitch under twitch.tv forward slash Mr. Bames underscore TPM. And you can find me at Hoodafunk on Twitter, and I'm also on Twitch under twitch.tv forward slash hoodafunk. So James, I'm feeling pretty good about this catch-up this week. What about you, man? What have you been up to this week? So aside from a little mystery game that you've teased the listeners with in the intro there, I have only played one game this week. I have cracked on with my second playthrough of Elden Ring. Nice. Dude, it's been going really, really well. Much, much easier the second playthrough, it turns out. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure, yeah, once you've got all the attack patterns figured out or semi-remembered. Well, it's all of that, and also because I knew what I was going to sort of build towards from the offset this time yes yeah i remember in your last playthrough it triggered a bit of a like a last minute weapon swap to get through the uh, kind of final bits of the game exactly that because i i always play the first playthrough of any souls like i can will always be with a long sword just because that way you learn the enemies better because you're not as powerful basically yeah i know you get yeah. a really good feeling of satisfaction if you then win with a long sword as well it's great but this time i i knew what weapon i wanted because as you say it's the weapon i ended up finishing with last time which was the great stars big old colossal mace thing that causes bleed damage and heals you a little bit on hit and probably a good amount of stagger after you've whacked someone about with it as well a lot of stagger and it scales with strength which is you know ended up being my primary stat and has been my primary stat again this time so got that straight away at the start of my playthrough and it's i don't know if it's also because of that i've got just so much more confidence with it i just don't feel like i'm gonna lose right well you know honestly that is a big part of these games you've got to play confidently to win a lot of the time if you are doing cowardly back rolls and stuff you're usually f***ing up exactly absolutely right and this is really what I can tell you that really says it all just today before the podcast I did a little bit of Elden Ring and I was do you remember in the snowy section like the consecrated snowfields no it's the mountaintops of the giants just before yeah right okay yeah Um, you know there's the bit where you go across the invisible bridge to end up getting to one of the mage towers yeah I do yeah yeah and it's got that bit where you stop right before the cliff edge and you have to turn up some stairs that you can barely see like a trail that has killed me more than any boss in the game so far (laughs) (laughs) nice okay Okay, well, that's a good sign for the bosses, less so for uh, your journey there. Were you not using the, the kind of glowing stones to mark your path? No, no, no. I, I, I very seldom use items in these games. Brute forcing <laughs> well. the invisible path. Yeah, that's going to get you killed. You can sort of see it. So It's more forgivable than the invisible platforms in those mines in Dark Souls, at least, where you were literally just praying. Oh, in the crystal caves, you mean? The crystal, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. oh no, in that one, I I found it easy because you can see the snow land on it slightly. 
Oh, and okay. That's okay. the same as this that. one, but because it's against the background of a bright sky rather than the background of some dark crystals, it's much harder to see, at least for me. Sure thing. But yeah, so been going really well. I've done all mainline bosses up to Red Fire Giant. Um, so that's including Millennia. Did that like second time, third time. It's just it's a completely different game <laughs> with this weapon. Nice. And you're sounding like you're enjoying this playthrough a lot more. There's been no sort of half-time rage quits at all. Oh, no. <laughs> Apart from maybe like a, a very early Doors quit, more based on performance issues. But yeah. once those all got sorted out, you've had a great time with this, it sounds like. Absolutely. And it shows in the, in the playtime as well. Because I completed my first run all in as much of the game as I could which wasn't 100% but was probably damn close uh, 97 hours right okay and yeah. to get to the stage I'm at now probably took me about you know 90 of those fine <laughs> to be okay. fair uh, I'm currently rocking I think I'm just going into hour 53 and like realistically I've probably got another at most 10 hours left so it's going to take me 35 odd hours less which is just insane and I've done not quite as much exploring but still Got a lot of stuff explored. Looking for all those legendary weapons, looking for all those legendary talismans, want those chivos this playthrough. I think that there is a lot of stuff, though, that unless you have a very specific build in mind, the, the game doesn't really warrant you necessarily needing to go and get it. Yeah. Although on my playthrough, I think I spent about 150 odd hours on my character, and that was kind of like a very trying to collect everything type playthrough. Yeah. Although probably 90% of it I'd never get around to using or just purely based on the fact that I didn't have the stats to even yeah. wield a lot of the equipment as well. Given the fact that I was kind of like your character, a very strength and endurance focused character as opposed to using any magic or faith or yeah. intelligence oh, or dude, whatever. No endurance, mate. Just strength. Oh, right. No, I went for something like 40 endurance as well. I could swing that fucking anchor for days. That's what I'm aiming for <laughs> now. 44 vigor, 12 decks so I can use my weapon. I think I'm like 36 endurance or something about level 150 which and it's again because i'm not dying i'm keeping all my souls so i've just been able to level up super quickly it's just been great really good fun i found that because i've started new game plus now on level 150 that is really good scaling i feel like still very strong going into a new game plus yeah. run on level 150 yeah now this one won't go into new game plus because this is the one that i'm building up for the dlc when that comes out so i'll finish the game off get different ending this time don't know which one i haven't decided what i'm going to do yet got some options um but then i'm going to leave it until dlc comes out it's basically exactly the same build as my last one but just refined it's much better perfected much yeah. more efficient <laughs> much better armor all that good stuff but no so that's been really good fun it's kind of kicked kingdoms of amlor re-reckoning to the curb a little bit but i'll probably go back to that once i finish elden rings as i say I, I i think i'll be done with elden ring by next week but that is all i've played this week man so there it is how about you what have, what have you been up to i can uh, see by the look on your face that you've done something that you can be proud of i'm very pleased with myself james i'm happy to report that i actually managed to get around to completing the legend of zelda breath of the wild yeah it's there we did it he's done it i beat the final divine beast varadania uh, who is situated walking around a kind of flaming volcano mountain that is also known as death mountain and what animal was this one so this one was kind of like a lizard type thing that had sort of drone-like propellers sticking out of its back so it could shoot missiles at you okay you know, like those, uh, you know, the four propeller drone things, it kind of had those, but it also had legs. 
right. this was one of the more simple puzzles where I think I mentioned in the last one when I had to do the camel it was like three cylinders that you had to rotate independently because you're inside the structure you manipulate these divine beasts in order to work the puzzles in the rooms this one was just one of two positions you could either make it lie on its side or lie on its back and I think that maybe the reason why this one was a bit more simple is because I'd done the order of the bosses in a slightly weird way right. I think on a typical playthrough this might be your second or third divine beast whereas I came back for this one right at the end and there's four in total right four in total yeah, yeah that's right yeah so in order to get to this divine beast, you first of all head on your way to Goron City, which is inhabited by these kind of big, chunky rock munching guys. Yeah, the Gorons, yeah. Yeah, they, they love a good mountain rock. Need me them rocks, bro. So on heading into Goron City, you bump into the big boss. Not uh, the <laughs> big boss, but... You bump into the boss of Goron City, who is mostly preoccupied with the fact that he's got a backache and can't do anything to protect the village from Varadania. So he's actually sent off uh, a chap called Yonobo, who is actually the direct descendant of Daruk, who was the Goron champion 100 years ago. Yonobo has been sent off to get some painkillers for the boss. So off we go to rescue Yonobo, who has apparently not been heard from for some time, off on his journey to get some painkillers. Man, every single Zelda game, I swear, the Gorons always have something wrong with them that you need to help. And Ocarina of like Time... a physical you... ailment. Seriously, let's grab some guy eye drops in... <laughs> in uh, Ocarina of Time if you wanted the best sword in the game. My sciatica is playing <laughs> up an awful lot. <laughs> there just always seems to be something wrong with him. Well, uh, so we actually do finally get to <laughs> Yonobo and he is trapped inside a cave because for some reason they have painkillers in caves yeah. in Goron City. We use a series of cannons to... <laughs> attack the nearby to enemies. To the painkillers. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, so he's been locked in by like a rubble that has, that has crashed around him. Right. I think whilst he was going to get the painkillers, the lizard on the mountain had detected him and had started shooting. He shoots like these big fireballs whenever he gets agitated. Right. And that had caused a cave-in that had locked him inside. Got so. you. Okay, makes sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you could say that. <laughs> it makes more sense than firing painkillers out of a cannon at someone. Yeah, that's absolutely. <laughs> uh, so you load your bomb ability into the cannon in order to act as the ignition you fire the cannons that will then eventually get him out of the rubble once you've rescued him you head back to goron city the chief gets the painkillers and he says he's ready to go but just before they all set off to go and attack varadania he gets another crank of the old back pain and decides that he's not going to be able to go and at this point yonobo the descendant of the goron champion daruk has already headed halfway up to death mountain so he's kind of ready to go on this fight at this point link volunteers is to go up, meet with Yonobo to finally take on the Divine Beast. Very nice too. So after you fight the beast and eventually manage to board it, you are able to solve a few puzzles, you work your way through, and much like the rest of the Divine Beasts in the game, you end up fighting a version of Ganon at the very end. This time it was Fireblight Ganon. And uh, this was a pretty decent boss fight. He had like kind of one hand that was a big sword arm and you could use your parry mechanic in the game using a shield to kind of bash 
push it out of the way, which stunned him for a while. Eventually, he gets a kind of protection shield around him that you need to use your bombs in order to shatter, and then again, you'll stun him and knock him onto the ground. Like a lot of these boss fights, it's fairly formulaic, and once you've figured out the pattern and what you need to do, it becomes very easy, provided you're decent at dodging the majority of the attacks. So, didn't have much trouble there, but the reward for defeating Fire Blight Ganon is you then gain Darak, the Goron Champion's special ability, Darak's Protection, which essentially acts that whenever you pull out your shield, I think it's three times in the space of a day, whatever attack lands will be deflected automatically. You don't need to perfectly time the parry in order to deflect something. Whatever hits it whilst you've got your shield out will be deflected up to three times a day and it slowly recharges throughout the day. Okay. Pretty useful ability, particularly coming up to the final boss fight in the game as well, because after defeating the last of the Divine Beasts, it's then time to head to Hyrule Castle, where Calamity Ganon is residing, and he's the main big bad of the game. Oh, big purpley smoky boy. Yeah, that's right, yeah, yeah. So we fought our way into Hyrule Castle, past quite a few of those Guardian Sentinel things, the oh, kind of spider-looking turrets. Yeah. Honestly, by this point, I'd really mastered the parry mechanic using the shields, so I got real good at that. I was able to mostly deflect them as I was fighting my way in. So they didn't actually give me too much trouble, but you can really tell that Hyrule Castle is built for once you've kind of mastered the game and you're ready to move on. Right. At least that was how I felt. It was not a massively long dungeon. Uh, you quite quickly come along to fight Calamity Ganon. And at this point, all of the four divine beasts in the area lock on with their lasers and fire their laser beams from the divine beasts in order to attack Calamity Ganon. Because that was their actual initial use was that they would be piloted by the four champions that were defeated a hundred years ago and they would be used to defeat Calamity Ganon. But obviously since then they've been corrupted and were now being used by Calamity Ganon yeah. instead. So we defeat Calamity Ganon. Uh, he's kind of like a large boss once again. Uh, and anyone that's familiar with speedruns of this game know that he can be defeated mostly by parrying, which again, by that point, I was pretty good at timing. And you so have that ability too, off. so even if you missed one, you're pretty safe anyway, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. So there was a couple points, it did get to the end where I eventually did actually run out of shields, because <laughs> yeah. if you successfully parry something, that's great, your shield doesn't take any damage, but if you block and you miss time the parry and you're back to blocking when the attack lands, it's going to damage your shield. And this guy's attacks are serious, he's like a giant amalgamation of all of the other... Ganon things yeah. that you fought throughout the game. He's going to say he switches elements, doesn't he? He does, yeah, yeah. And he's got various projectile attacks and things like that yeah. that you have to avoid. But if you're doing the parries well, you'll be able to stun him a few times. Eventually, then he gets a kind of semi permanent invincibility shield around him. I wasn't able to take it out with grenades in the same way that I was fired like Ganon. Grenades? I didn't know there were grenades in Zelda. Uh, not grenades. They <laughs> essentially are grenades. The bombs that you can uh, throw. Oh, oh yes. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. You're, you're absolutely right. Yeah, they're basically <laughs> I the same thing. I was just like, grenades. Because yeah. <laughs> I know they said the explosive arrows as well. And they're really cool. The bomb arrows, he was actually immune to as well. So I oh, was really? trying those and it still didn't work. So there was really nothing to get him off of that wall. The best way to do it is to deflect an attack. But I did find out, thankfully, through using one of my other abilities, as you're probably familiar with in a Zelda game, if you hold the attack button, he'll charge up his sword yeah. and then eventually do a big circular attack. If you've defeated one of the other divine beasts in the game, you'll get an ability where it also charges that with lightning. So something, again, maybe once or two or three times a day, your charged attack will also unleash a lightning storm now that did work cool, yeah. to break his thing 
And I learned that by accident. <laughs> and I just, uh, I, I was able to use the ability and it worked really well. And that was, uh, that was kind of it really, once I discovered that I could use that as well. And I should also mention at this point that I was actually dealing with Calamity Ganon with half a health bar from the get-go because each of the four divine beasts takes off like an eighth of his health bar. So if you've got all right. four, it will actually cut that health bar down. And this was a real challenging boss fight, honestly, even on half a health bar. I mean, I know a lot of people are probably going to come back and tell me that this is super easy and oh, you smell like this to me. You know, I have seen this thing done with a pot lid and stuff like that, but I got to say, I wasn't like going sweaty into this. This was a pretty chilled game session. I did actually manage to do it on my first attempt, Very but nice. it came kind of close to the line. I was running out of healing items. And at that point, as I say, I'd run out of shield. So I was getting a bit desperate in terms of what I could actually use to defeat it. <laughs> So this was definitely the most enjoyable boss fight of the game for me because it felt like the hardest one that had the most mechanics to it and required you to be the most inventive. Yeah, which is how a final boss probably should be. So well done, Breath of the Wild. Except it wasn't the final boss. After defeating Calamity Ganon, you're then met by Dark Beast Ganon. So at this point, this is like a giant raging bull character that's a good two or three times the size of Calamity Ganon. And this is meant to be the whole embodiment of the evil spirit of Ganon. And during this fight, you are running around on a horse. Zelda the Princess has now been released, I think, from Hyrule Castle, or is at least able to speak to you now. <laughs> she gifts you with a light bow that fires light arrows, and every so often, weak points around Dark Beast Ganon will be revealed, and you just need to shoot those. You don't even need to do it that many times, maybe about 10, 15 times or something. It's not really a fight, is it? This is like a No, it's, it's a finale victory yeah. lap kind of style thing, yeah. yeah. It's the final bit. And this is the thing that makes it very obvious as well. There is a piano line that plays and it gets very repetitive. It goes And you can tell that it is waiting and it's only meant to play that a few times because it gets very repetitive very quickly. However, I had real trouble hitting the final kill shot because you're required to use the laser beam that it's firing at you. It shoots down into the ground which causes fire on the grass. You then need to use the updraft from the flames in the grass to shoot up into the air using your glider and then fire the final shot from midair. Only when the final top bit is exposed because it only exposes when it doesn't attack. Right. And I tried and tried and I think I just wasn't doing it right or I wasn't in the right place so it wouldn't open. But I must have tried for like a solid five minutes oh, <laughs> to get this final kill shot and I'm not exaggerating. It took me a while to get this. I did finally manage to do it and cease the endless repeating piano. Yeah. You, sh and, you uh, leapt out of your chair and screaming, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty much it, man. I was really pleased with myself for having completed this one. Uh, you know, I, I think our conversation last week really spurred me on yeah. and uh, the imminency of Tears of the Kingdom coming up as well. As I, as I said, I knew I knew you could do it, but it was going to be tough. And hey, you're halfway to completing your Grand Slam, as it were, because you've now freed up it's some time. It's on to Resident Evil 4 Resident next. 4. And uh, just quickly then, how you, how's your battle pass going as well? Because if you're pretty much done with that too you're having a blinder mate i'm doing pretty good on the battle pass i think we've got maybe roughly about 45 days remaining or something like that and i'm just under 70 percent of my way through it nice. they had like a big double xp event uh over last weekend and i just was playing a ton of dmz <laughs> and pretty much every round of dmz earns you a token so i was really piling them right, on last nice. weekend 
trying to make the most of that. I was a bit worried that that was actually going to impact my uh, my progress into Completionist Corner this week, as well as also my, uh, you know, efforts to complete The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. But, you know, I'm really pleased to say that I've actually managed to get some serious gaming time in this week. And uh, yeah, I've done this all very comfortably. I feel like a proud parent. <laughs> but I got to say, I had an absolute blast. I know I say that every time, but I know I had a really, really good time playing through Breath of the Wild. Uh, the mechanics in terms of inventiveness and the way that you can solve puzzles in a kind of sandbox environment. Plenty of opportunities where I'm like, oh, the game didn't want me to do that, but I did it anyways. Just purely because of the sandbox physics elements and, and various powers that you've got. Very enjoyable, and I am very much looking forward to Tears of the Kingdom. Okay, man, I think that's us done with the catch-up. Let's move on to the gaming news. So, starting with our first article of the day, great news, Dead Island 2 actually looks pretty good. Yeah, nice. That's right, you heard me right. Dead Island 2 gameplay since releasing actually looks really cool. The game appears to run pretty well on current consoles as well as PC, which is great news considering the spate of performance issues with PC games earlier this year. On day one, it works. No. I don't believe Yeah, you. honestly, no. defying all of the odds there. Yeah. Uh, really nice to see, honestly. I was just so relieved and, and happy for this studio that they've managed to pull this one off, especially given this is one of those stories where it's been delay after delay, rumour after rumour. This yeah. game has been waiting to come out for so long, and now that it finally is out, it's being received with uh, really positive reviews, which I'm pleased to see for them. Me too, because it, and really it had to, to be perfectly honest. It had to come out all guns blazing, no issues, because otherwise people would be saying it's really taken you over a decade to do that. That's the thing. Yeah, I, I think it becomes harder to justify when they've taken so long to release it and it still comes out as a buggy, broken game. Yeah, exactly. I think that, that really that is the... I would much rather have an underdeveloped game in terms of mechanics than I would a, a game that just performs like dog sh** and uh, is sort of completely broken. Yeah, absolutely. The combat system in the game looks both familiar and funky fresh, with the new and improved gore system looking really gruesome and impressive. Mm. So I've been watching some of this footage, and as you kind of attack the zombies, especially with more blunt weapons, you can literally reduce their legs to skeleton. Oh, nice. <laughs> you can kind of take off every chunk of meat off of the zombies. Ooh, grizzly. Which is obviously not something that you would typically aim to do. However, oh, it, it does now. demonstrate... <laughs> you're just gonna have kind of like skeletal legged zombies dragging themselves along the yeah. streets of la hell yeah with half a face <laughs> that is literally the attention to detail in terms of the weapon damage that you can do you really can sort of see inside the zombie if you use certain tools to carve away at them you can see innards quite clearly yeah there's quite a few weapons in the game that seem to have unique damage effects on enemies like for instance a rake if you use a rake to slash an enemy they'll have lots of stripes down their back where you can now see through into the internal yeah. organs and things it's very gruesome that's cool and man. very cool though yeah. it's uh i think that they get away with it because it's obviously zombies it's not real <laughs> human sort of thing with a game that is mostly just around zombie bashing let's yeah. be honest i think that making the zombie bashing feel and look really good is absolutely key and it sounds like they've really pulled that off that's really really cool i can't wait to see that Definitely have a little look on YouTube, but just watching some demos. I think the first time I saw it get demoed for me, I was just on Reddit and I was just watching someone repeatedly bash off chunks of a zombie leg until they had nothing but bone <laughs> left with a with a baseball bat. I'm not psychopathic, I promise you. Uh, it's just, uh, yeah. honestly, from a video game perspective, it's impressive. And yeah. uh, 
I am a well-adjusted individual, I promise you. Yeah, keep telling yourself that. I'm just a normal, functioning member of the human race, and there's no way anyone can prove otherwise. Uh, moving on, the <laughs> six characters all look pretty interesting in their own ways, although I can imagine that some people might find them to be a little bit over the top and jarring. There's uh, a character in there that looks a little bit like Little Pump. Uh, there's uh, kind of, yeah, lots of over-the-top large personalities there. So sounds and kind of cringe. It is a bit, yeah. and I'm not a huge fan of like character one-liners all over the place in a game, yeah. especially when it's not on the nose and kind of a bit self-aware. Yeah. And it sounds like this game has those aplenty. I can deal with that because I'm a Borderlands fan, but it has to be done in the right taste. This seems like it's more in your face than Borderlands. Right. It does, yeah. From more what in I've your seen face than Borderlands? Play. Yeah, more in your face than Borderlands, oh. yeah. The way that they, yeah, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> wow. Okay. Zombie ass kicking services at competitive prices. On top of that, uh, the map design looks really good, and Los Angeles provides a great setting to get a feel of the original beach island, whilst also giving an opportunity to add some extra zaniness to the game. So I felt like it was worth bringing this one back, because we did briefly mention this last week in terms of a release. Yeah, and we were hoping that it would be good, weren't we? Exactly. We were real hoping. And our wishes were granted. It does look like this game has done really well, and i got to say, this might, and this is maybe a bit controversial, James, this might have pipped Wolong in terms of my Ooh. next back shelf game that i want to pick up and give a go oh right i thought my you were, history thought... with zombie games is uh is sucking me yeah. in uh, yeah I'm, I'm not trying to claim which one's a better game yeah that's where i thought it, you were going with that no yeah. no 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 well uh yeah wouldn't be in a good position to uh to make that decision given that <laughs> i played, played neither. Neither of them. yeah <laughs> But I think that, uh, yeah, no, it may well have pipped it as my kind of next on the back shelf game once I've got through Resident Evil 4. Who knows, if I manage to do that, uh, may end up picking up Dead Island 2. Well, I'm not going to lie, man. I'm going to go check out that body dismemberment stuff you were talking about. And if that's cool, like really cool, I, uh... A little co-op Dead Island LA experience. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. Because I, like I I say, like... Brief, like my brief escapades into Dead Island One were always a laugh. So, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. It's you know, good if, times. if you get it too, co-op run on Dead Island Two, that could be real fun, man. I think so. I think so. Yeah, it definitely seems like the sort of game that it would just be elevated by having more people to play with. So once again, just a massive congratulations to the developer, Deep Silver Downbuster Studios. It was a long wait for this game, but it all seems worth it now, and uh, really pleased for you guys. Yeah, seconded. Okay, moving swiftly on to our second news article of the day. Star Wars Jedi Survivor is actually getting negative review bombed on Steam. It certainly is, my god. Wow. <laughs> dark red. Star- dark red. Dark, dark, mostly negative red. Yeah. F***ing thing sucks! So, Star Wars Jedi Survivor receives a flood of bad reviews from players, despite the initially good reception from critics. The negative reviews mostly are related to issues with poor performance and optimization on PC. Shock horror, that's right, add another one to the pile. I was gonna say, what was that thing you said in the first story? What was that so thing we spoke about? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, you know, we uh, we wound us up with the uh, this first article. It's time to crank us down now. Back to reality, guys. So the article from Game Rant mentions that it is currently being review-bombed by the community, and going by the Steam reviews, they're absolutely right. It's yeah. sat on mostly negative currently around the time of recording with over 1,200 negative reviews. Yes, although one thing I will say, having read through a fair few of them... Oh, I scrolled yeah. through a lot of them. Yeah. 
it seems that the general consensus is that the game's pretty good. It just runs like balls. Yeah, that that is yeah. absolutely it. Which is an absolutely valid opinion for not being able to recommend a game on uh, oh, PC no, platform. Not denying but, uh, that, but I'm just saying there is hope. For Star Wars. There fans. is hope for this. Yeah, I'm trying to keep myself point. a bit of hope because I'm actually quite <laughs> looking forward to this from the footage and the trailers and stuff. Honestly, dude, at this point, it really sounds like you'd be better off buying this for your Xbox One and uh, <laughs> seeing how you go there. No, dude, I'm just gonna wait. Sad that this has uh, been marred by poor performance on PC because it sounds like, you know, once again, the PC crowd is missing out on a really awesome game experience there. Yeah, and actually it would be very remiss of us not to say, given the praise we've just given to Dead Island 2 for taking their time and then releasing it in a good state, let's not forget that this game was delayed too for added polish and it's Respawn who are owned by EA. They're not poor, so really shouldn't be having these issues, guys. Yeah, I'm really hoping that at some point after the amount of releases this year that have come out, really shoddily on pc i'm hoping that there is a real movement to address that and actually have some sort of parity on release day because yeah. it's awful that people with technically stronger hardware than a lot of modern day consoles are actually struggling to play these games i mean some of these reviews there was one user review by dr taco chocolate <laughs> great name <laughs> amazing name so they go on to state that the game is extremely fun but it performs terribly they're using a 3090 series and getting a consistent 30 fps in some areas other areas they get a mostly consistent 45 frames per second and you know this is kind of currently coming in uh where the expectation for pc is a stable 60 frames per second um, minimum. minimum yeah and most people are running games between the sort of 120 to the really high end 200 fps on on a lot of modern day console games yeah out to Bioshock 2 Remastered that we just played that was running at a smooth 400 FPS <laughs> yeah that's the benefits of using modern day hardware yeah. on games that came out years ago <laughs> uh, another taco related review by another user called Spartan says it runs like my ass after Taco Bell so slightly less flattering review there what's up Taco Chocolate what are you saying <laughs> i haven't been as slick as you i didn't get the name of the person that said this but i saw one that was running a 4080 and was still having like 20 frames per second which is absurd yeah like yeah a 4080 well this is the thing is you know it's not always the graphics card is it a lot of the time it can be processor related yeah, that's true. so it, it's just one of those things the amount of different hardware available on pc i can accept that but the fact that people are using this level of hardware and having issues seems like it's outrageous you know yeah. it isn't all doom and gloom however However, some reviewers did have some positive comments. User Bike said it runs well after the first planet. Although that's not <laughs> that's overly a promising either. Double edged sword, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, once you get through the tutorial, you can finally get like over a stable 30 FPS. Yeah. Super tight. <laughs> and you're also wicked at the game because you played the whole tutorial at 3 FPS. Exactly. Yeah. You've been uh, that gauntlet through Godric that you oh, had to go gosh, through on yeah. Elden Ring. <laughs> Yeah. You might actually be adapted now. You're fully adapted. Actually, James, you should get this game now before they fix it, because I think at this point you'll uh, you'll be ready to go. Just make sure ray tracing's turned on super high, just to make it extra <laughs> yeah. lighting. Maybe that's why my Elden Ring's going so well. Yeah, it could well be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You need to keep that locked at ten. Yeah, just nice. put, I'll put 10 it back FPS. on if I get stuck. So, like a lot of these games with performance issues on PC, Star Wars Jedi Survivor has come packaged with Denuvo, which a lot of people are criticising for causing these performance issues. Denuvo is a type of digital rights management software aimed at preventing piracy of video games, which seems to have grown steadily in popularity amongst publishers over the years. It's worth noting, however, that Dead Island 2 also came packaged with Denuvo, and as we've mentioned earlier, it still runs pretty well. Yeah. 
I've heard this one before and that sounds like a little bit of a convenient excuse. There has been some evidence I've seen where Denuvo has been patched out of a game which has improved performance. However, I don't think it is the absolute answer to these performance issues as well. I think that it's, it is inner workings of the game that need to be addressed and optimised for PC as well. So rounding off the news section with our third article of the episode, the United Kingdom's Competition and Markets Authority has blocked Microsoft's $69 billion deal acquisition of Activision Blizzard, putting the future of the acquisition in doubt. The Competition and Markets Authority stated in its decision that the merger could make Microsoft even stronger in cloud gaming, stifling competition in this growing market. That's a, la that's a laughable statement, I'm sorry. They're the only ones f***ing investing in it. I Well, I think that that's the thing, is although they're not investing in it now they're worried about the direction that microsoft could take it or, or i guess uh monopolize it in terms of future use it's it's a hard one to say because as you say people aren't investing in it now yeah. so it's almost like early bird catches the worm a little bit yeah, which my point it is, always is yeah. you know that, that's what i feel that's why i think this is silly they're appealing it so <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah this is obviously going to be met with an appeal and uh, actually, we'll get onto that a little bit later in the article. So this is an article from the Washington Post. However, earlier in an article from The Guardian, the CMA did declare that the deal had satisfied them that they wouldn't remove the Call of Duty franchise from the PlayStation platform. But they did come back with an unusual decision to instead focus on cloud gaming. The promises Microsoft tried to make in the area were not good enough, the CMA said, because they would warp the development of the entire sector, once again talking about the development of cloud gaming as a field. This is a real surprise to me because the angle in terms of what I think would be the biggest issue in this seems to have been completely allayed and they've just taken this from a completely different angle now and it's all about cloud gaming instead of Call of Duty. I'm interested to see what Jim Ryan had to say on this. I'm sure he's jumped on the bandwagon of it because it's showing promise of actually getting some leverage and some leeway in terms of making this argument. Although, to my knowledge, that wasn't part of Jim Ryan's original argument from this at all. He seemed entirely preoccupied with the fact that PlayStation could lose the Call of Duty franchise. Yeah, and this also makes no sense to me because if they've got these deals like they have in place with Nintendo for a 10-year parity rights or release rights, at least for Call of Duty, that would include on the cloud gaming as well, surely. So if PlayStation upped their game and had a cloud gaming system that was as good as xCloud, then they'd be able to release it on there too. I don't see why this is an issue, if the other thing isn't an issue. I get what you mean, yeah. I, I think the scope of the cloud gaming thing goes well beyond PlayStation's stake in this argument, and there could be some fixes needed in order to actually push this through. Gaming analyst Michael Pachter told Axios that Microsoft could carve out the cloud gaming service, sometimes called xCloud, in the United Kingdom to satisfy these concerns. So this would just, again, you know, be a, a way of, of getting around that and personally I, I don't see what the issue there would be that kind of seems like a pretty standard response to this if they can't force this through then they would just cut out the bit that's the issue and they can still proceed with the acquisition provided that they don't include the cloud services within the clauses and specifically in the UK so basically the UK market would just lose out yeah exactly that's a very good point there uh, and it seems like uh, you know there's been some pretty scathing reactions from the Activision Blizzard team there making it very clear that they're displeased with the opinion of the CMA. They do go on to say that we remain confident that our deal with Microsoft benefits competition, consumers and job creation in markets around the world, especially in the UK. Activision Blizzard CEO Bobby Kotick said Wednesday in an announcement of the company's first quarter results, the CMA's report today does not reflect these realities and we will work aggressively with Microsoft to reverse it on appeal. And I would imagine that they'll probably win. The saga continues. Got this and the FTC, it's just this 
just dragging it out. We all know it's going to go through eventually. Just come on, let it be done, and then we can move on. Activision Blizzard, whose chief communications officer, Lulu Cheng Maservi, went further, vowing to reassess our growth plans for the UK, including, Innovators large and small will take note that despite all its rhetoric, the UK is clearly closed for business. So, whatever the outcome of the final decision on the acquisition, the CMA has definitely given a thumbs down on this, but this certainly isn't the last we'll hear of this deal going through. It's like the gift that keeps on giving, but you don't want that gift, so you try and return it. Then yeah. just, and then it just like it gets gifted like round the friend group and it becomes like a <laughs> meme. And it's like, oh, it's your turn for this sh- So in breaking tradition from the typical gaming news section of three articles, I had to squeeze a little bonus article in there, James. It's not really an article, really. I felt like I just absolutely have to give a quick mention to Armored Core 6, Fires of Rubicon, the new game from FromSoft, which a trailer has dropped as of yesterday at the time of recording. Yes, which I still need to watch. I'm not going to get into it on the podcast just for the sake of length, but what I will say is everyone listening, go check out that trailer right now and show them your support. It looks absolutely mind-blowing. No, it's absolutely on my list of things to do. It's FromSoft. I'm hyped. Okay, James, uh, with that quick announcement out of the way, I think it's time that we moved on to Completionist Corner. Here we go for the Completionist's Corner. So James, as we open Completionist Corner, I think it's time that we revealed the game that we were up to this week. Would you like to do the honours? Oh, I feel like the person who gets to open the envelope at a f***ing awards show. (laughs) And the winner this week is... We played Half-Life 2. And this is very interesting for me because I've never played a Half-Life game before apart from Half-Life 2 for about five minutes in 2010. Yeah, so a lot of time has passed since you actually finally got into this. Long old time. Without further ado, James, I think it's time to get into it. Let's. The Half-Life series was launched with the first title, Half-Life, in 1998, where it was developed by Valve and published by Sierra Studios for Windows PC. Shout out to Sierra Studios, they published some great f***ing games. Some OG badasses right there, shout out Motocross Madness. Oh yeah, shout out Dr. Brain. Damn, straight home. Hell yeah. Didn't think they did the Zumbinis as well, shout outs. Sorry, I won't derail that anymore. Please continue. (laughs) (laughs) Half-Life also did get a subsequent PlayStation port shortly after in 2001, and and Valve was a studio at the time being funded by a man called Mike Harrington and some other nobody called Gabe Newell. I've never heard of him. It's just me, Gabe Newell. Mike left Valve in the year 2000, leaving Gabe as the sole owner of Valve. Half-Life 2 was then released in 2004 for PC and later made its way to consoles in 2007 as part of the Orange Box collection, which is how I played it. Half-Life 2 utilised Valve's at the time brand spanking new and pretty groundbreaking source engine. Years later, and in keeping with the rumours of Gabe's mortal fear of the number three, oh, isn't that the truth, Half-Life Alex was released for compatible VR headsets in 2020. So the Half-Life series is a mix of first-person shooter and exploration, and has become known over time for its innovative take on game design, world-building, and immersive puzzles. As we mentioned earlier, Half-Life 2 utilises the source engine, which powers the impressive physics, gameplay, and at the time, groundbreaking graphical detail. And that is absolutely true honestly this game came out in 2004 just to give you an idea this was a great year for games but san andreas also came out that same year and when you compare the graphical fidelity and animations and everything that is involved in half-life 2 uh it's, it's kind of like night and day in terms of what they were able to achieve on yeah, pc at the time before we get into the story of half-life 2 i think we can cover off a synopsis of the events of half-life 1 so half-life 1 places you in the boots of dr gorman friedman is he a doctor in half-life 1 
I think he is Dr. Gordon Freeman, yeah. Who is a theoretical physicist working at the Black Mesa Research Facility. That's Black Table for any Spanish speakers out there. I think so. During an experiment which involved putting a crystal of alien origin in a machine called the anti-mass spectrometer for analysis, the explosion triggers a resonance cascade which severely damages the Black Mesa facility and rips open a portal to another dimension called Zen. Gordon Freeman survives the blast, but now has to face off against the monsters and alien life forms that have made their way through the portal after the incident. The monsters are now attacking, and in some cases, infecting and seizing control of the scientists and workers at Black Mesa. As if his day couldn't get any worse, Gordon Freeman has also got to defend himself against a special unit of the United States Marine Corps called the Hazardous Environment Combat Unit, who have been called in to cover up the incident at Black Mesa with no survivors permitted. After a series of events which we won't get into now in case we cover it in a later episode Gordon Freeman discovers that the portal that had been ripped open during his morning experiment is being held open by an entity called the Nihilanth Gordon Freeman is now tasked by the survivors of the facility to take his orange armor-clad ass over to the other side of the portal to Zen to destroy the Nihilanth. After Gordon manages to destroy the Nihilanth, he is summoned away by a mysterious strange talking man called G-Man. <laughs> That's a funny name. Who has apparently been watching Gordon's progress during this whole ordeal. Is he the motherfucker at the start of the game? He is, yeah, the guy that oh, is speaking cool. to you initially, yeah. Fair. He's kind of like a very mysterious guy. He seems to be like, obviously, I feel like the version we're seeing of him is how he is choosing to present to us as a relatable figure but I think that this guy is not actually a guy in a business suit with a briefcase I think he's like a spectral entity or something like that you know I instantly thought he was an alien of some kind yeah yeah I think he's choosing to appear to us as a businessman but I don't think that's really who G-Man is no exactly Um, but G-Man explains he has employers who would also like Gordon to join them and for the purposes of what we'll call the canon ending to the first game Gordon agrees to do so. He is then placed in stasis by G-Man, ready to wait for his next mission when required. Sometime a little less than 20 years later on from the Black Mesa incident, Gordon Freeman is awoken from stasis by G-Man and placed on a train that is about to arrive in a place called City 17. And that is where the events of Half-Life 2 begin. Rise and shine, Mr. Freeman. I'm glad you gave that little bit of context because I didn't realise I'd come out of stasis at the start of the game. I thought I was just on a train. It is very unclear. One thing that does reinforce that you haven't just been sat on the train the whole time is as you're about to leave, if you bump into one of the citizens or get close to them, they'll say something like, hey, you weren't on here when the train took off. So yeah, I heard that, but I, yeah. I just thought that was just banter. It didn't register. No, yeah. yeah, I think that is meant to be the, a clear indicator there that you were sort of sneakily teleported onto right, the train by okay. G-Man. Yeah. And much like you, when I first played this game, God knows how many years ago, probably around 2005, 2004, 2005, I had no prior knowledge of Half-Life 1 either, so I was right. very confused and had no idea about the plot of this game throughout my entire playthrough. Uh, that's good, because as we'll probably get into, I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> So, uh, as I mentioned there, we get off the train and we are on our way through a prisoner camp there. Uh, We are watching quite a few people being processed. A lot has changed in the world, I assume at least. I didn't get to see the outside world when I did finally play through Half-Life 1. However, it seems like humanity is now kind of been semi-enslaved by uh, this mysterious force called the Combine, who tend to present as humanoid figures in kind of like riot guard outfits with gas mask looking face coverings. Yeah, I'm dubious as to whether... 
these guys are actually human underneath. I don't think that they uh, they actually are. I think that uh, they are part of this alien race that now seems to have incorporated itself with humanity, clearly coming through the Zen portal. Yeah, well, you see, with the context I've just received now from that opening monologue, it makes a little bit more sense to me because I just thought, oh, they're just stormtrooper time guys. Yeah, so it seems yeah. like obviously they're presenting to the human race once again like that, so as not to alarm us because yeah. they, you know, they clearly are just in fact aliens. And actually, you find out uh, as you're walking through the train station and through various areas of City 17, you'll notice a guy on a big TV screen called Dr. Breen. He's actually saying that uh, he's answering like a, a viewer submitted question about uh, why have the Combine seen it fit to suppress the human ability to reproduce? And he kind of answers it saying that, you know, they've actually saved us from this constant instinct to survive and that we'll actually be much better off without this constant preoccupation of needing to reproduce and sustain humanity. He's clearly lost it and is in league with the Combine because he also seems to think that with the help of, in quotes, our benefactors, we are close to achieving immortality as a race. This was yeah. honestly one of those things that I didn't pay attention to so many times on my initial playthrough. It was literally just this time I was really enjoying walking through this game on a nice beastie PC with fantastic resolution and max out settings. I'd honestly never seen this the game this tuned up. And it does look fantastic when you do compare it to the games that came out at that time. It really does push forward the level of graphics, the facial animations, the way that the models look. It's all insane for the type of games that were coming out at that same time. I, mean, I didn't know what date it was when I started playing it. It does look very enough. 2004 it looks amazing. Yeah, it was it was the best graphics game. Has it been remastered? Or is no, that it OG? looked like that. I mean, they've probably added some fancier post-processing effects and stuff like that. But honestly, no, that hasn't gone through a remaster in the same way that Bioshock did or anything like that. That that looked like that on release, pretty much. Fair play, Valve. It won all sorts of awards for having just mind-blowing graphics for its time. Fair. And all of those facial animations and things like that, those were all in there from the get-go as well, which was really just so impressive for at the time. And I, I think this is the reason kind of why we've never seen a Half-Life 3 as such a numbered title and I think even Valve have gone on record to say this is Half-Life they kind of treat as their baby that they use to demonstrate a massive technical progression in terms of what they're able to achieve and the step up from Half-Life 1 to Half-Life 2 was immense when you compare the original's graphics and animations and everything that they built into Half-Life 2 and then obviously that justifies Half-Life Alex, the VR title because that was obviously demonstrating all of the progress they'd made in the field of VR and they'd chosen Half-Life to be the label for that the reason I'd heard why Half-Life 3 isn't a thing is they just don't think that the modern day technology in terms of game design for an FPS like that has progressed enough for them to have Half-Life as a benchmark demonstration of all of that progression. And that is the most compelling and sort of reasonable argument I've heard for it. That actually makes a lot of sense. Also, at one point when you're walking through the City 17 area you are ordered by a guard to pick up a can that he's just knocked off of a bin. James, what did you do? Well, I tried to throw it in the bin and it hit him. Alright, okay. <laughs> and so I got... So he beat you with his nightstick. I threw it in his face and he chased me. He beat me black and blue. Got me into a corner and just carried on pummeling me, but because you can't take damage in that section, my screen was just pulsing red the whole time instead. Oh, fair. Yeah, every single guard I attacked, because I attacked like all the guards. Because <laughs> yeah. I was like, really, are they all just going to hit me once? One chased me out of the station, hit me once, and then left. 
I think my guard just bugged out and did not get the kind of the call off signal because he followed me pretty much all the way out into the residential area oh, that damn. you get to after leaving the station. Uh, you must have really launched that can in his face. I did, I did, yeah. yeah. You get a nice little achievement as well, you depending do, yeah. on what you do, which is nice. So, uh, back to the story. Before Gordon is sent to a prisoner train, he is rescued by a guy called Barney, who is posing as a combine guard, and then helps Gordon escape. Good luck out there, buddy. Barney used to work at Black Mesa, and after a quick catch-up over video call with another survivor of the Black Mesa incident called Dr. Kleiner, we have to jump out of a window to avoid being caught by a nosy combine guard. Apparently Barney has been low on his beatdown quota. So, after jumping out of the window, we get to explore a little bit of the City 17 precinct, and, uh, you know, we come across a few things that we can play with just to experiment a bit more with the physics of the game. Uh, you know, progress with things a little bit more than just chucking random pieces of rubbish and irritating the combine guards so in a playground here you find various objects that you get to interact with there's a slide and all of it is really just like a very basic tech demo where you can just pick up objects test the amount of friction that they all have test the amount of weight buoyancy and things like that there's a roundabout that you can place objects on half-life is the sort of game it's a very short game but they put a lot of detail into they want you to kind of click on all sorts of random things as you progress through the game just to test out to see what it does there's a lot of love and care put into just the amount of of random background things that you can do and once again it just feels all like it's a bit of a tech demo of what's capable within the source engine as we'll get on to a bit later on there's a lab where you can actually play with a off-the-cuff teleporter that you can place different items into teleport shortly after wandering through the city 17 precinct gordon is ambushed by a whole squad of combine guards after entering a residential building He's rescued, however, by a woman called Alex Vance, who is the daughter of yet another ex-employee of Black Mesa called Eli Vance. Dr. Kleiner said you'd be coming this way. As we travel through with Alex, she reveals that Breen, the guy who is raving about our mysterious benefactors on giant TV screens across the city, was actually the previous administrator of Black Mesa. Alex eventually brings us to Dr. Kleiner's lab, who, if you remember, was the guy Barney was speaking over the video call earlier before Gordon had to jump out a window. I must say, Gordon, you come at a very opportune time. Now in Kleiner's lab, along with Alex, we're also joined by Barney. Also in the lab is a head crab called Lamar, who Dr. Kleiner keeps as a pet. What's a head crab, you might ask? Well, these are one of the monstrosities that journeyed through the portal in the original Black Mesa incident, now de-beaked for safety reasons, <laughs> so that Lamar is unable to parasitically control anyone who is unfortunate enough to have it latch onto their head. The worst you might do is attempt to couple with your head fruitlessly. <laughs> Think the face huggers from the Alien franchise. That's all yeah, the deal. But they kind of aim for the top of the cranium instead yeah. of the face. And they and they're beaky boys rather than I'm gonna insert this down your throat boys. Yeah, they look like kind of a bit like weird fleshy jellyfish without the tendrils yeah. and then four claws that come out either side with this big open cup in the middle of them that I assume they used to suck onto the head and uh, yeah, use yeah. their beak to pierce the skull. And Lamar was sweet. We like Lamar. So as I mentioned earlier, there's a few things in Kleiner's lab that you can play with. One of them being a teleporter that allows you to place any object that can fit onto one platform. You press a button and it'll teleport to the other one. Little things that you can play around with while all of the dialogue goes off in the game. It's very minor features, but once again, just another showcase of the type of things that are programmable and possible within the Source Engine. Nice little achievement for doing it 20 times as well. During this lab section, we also get Gordon's classic HEV suit. That is the Mark V Hazardous Environment suit. Our next step is to get to Eli Vance, who is Alex's father, and he's leading 
leading the local resistance against the Combine. Eli is currently situated in an area called Black Mesa East. We try to use an experimental teleporter that Dr. Kleiner has been working on to travel to Black Mesa East, which works without issue for Alex. However, when Gordon enters the machine, there is a malfunction which causes him to be teleported to various locations, including Breen's office, before eventually ending up just outside the room with the teleporter we were just in. Just hanging out on the windowsill outside. <laughs> That's right, yeah. Yeah. Barney manages to find us outside as we're sort of walking around the building and throws Gordon his signature weapon, the crowbar. I think you dropped this back in Black Mesa before sending him on his way to Black Mesa East. That's right, so at this point, now armed with your crowbar, you are chased by the Combine forces through various areas of the city, uh, and you get to encounter a few different kinds of enemies in this game, the first being various different Combine guards. Uh, during this section, you also get a couple of different pistols, as well as a submachine gun, which is capable of firing grenade rounds. Is it? Oh. Yeah, so with your right click, it will fire grenade rounds. Ah, oh, is that what alternate means? Yeah, that's the alternate, uh. yeah. A lot of Got weapons it. have alternate modes. We also get an opportunity to fight some cool enemies in this area. I particularly like the barnacle enemies, which are usually suspended from the ceiling and have a long sticky tongue that is suspended. If you have the misfortune of wandering into it, you'll slowly be hoisted up and consumed by the barnacle, or at least it'll do pretty severe damage to you until you manage to kill it. There's a pretty useful way of getting around these guys. It's kind of like a physics-based semi-puzzle, so you can actually chuck barrels or any piece of debris toward them and it'll start to latch that up instead of you. Obviously, on realising, that it's not a living piece of flesh it'll then spit it out and the tongue will drop down again so you just have to make sure that you chuck whatever you have at it and then sneak through alternatively if there's a large group of them the game does give you a flame barrel usually pretty close by you can pop one or two bullets in the flame barrel just before it's being sucked up and take out a large group of them once it explodes in midair as well so just a little useful thing for getting through those areas and they're often pretty well hidden as well it's only a tiny strand in front of you so it's quite easy to uh, accidentally get caught by those and suddenly wonder why you're not going anywhere and why you're suddenly being <laughs> hoisted into the air. Also, the man hacks in the game, which are sort of small, portable, deployable mini drones that are just kind of like knives all over them. They spin round and bounce off walls chaotically. You'll occasionally see combine guards take one out of their pocket and throw it up into the air and it'll shortly come after you. They can be quite a pain to take out sometimes. It really depends on just how tight that hallway is because they crowbar, really are. Baby. Yeah, crowbar is a one hit kill on these things. However, if you're in a really tight corridor, the way that they can bounce off of the wall and stuff can be very chaotic and difficult difficult to hit but i find that that's just you know a, another really cool kind of physics based enemy in the game you're not dealing with pre-programmed animations and predictable patterns it really is just a flying ball of spinny bladey fury also in this area, you get to encounter some hostile headcrabs. Uh, gone are the days of friendly Lamar. We're now dealing with headcrabs that are pretty intent on latching onto our head and controlling us. Yep, and they've got beaks intact, these ones. They do, they're the beaky boys. They're feral. Feral beaky boys. Also uh, accompanying the headcrabs are people who have been unfortunate enough to have been attacked by one of them, and we're dealing with shambling, slow-moving zombies that are able to actually hit large objects in the environment towards us. So if you see one that is shambling towards you from behind a desk don't think you're safe because it will just punch the desk at you instead <laughs> and i suppose that is the zombies way of arranged attack yeah i've never actually seen one in a close enough environment with objects yet and these guys are quite fun to fight because obviously they have a head crab attached to them if you mainly focus on shooting their body the head crab will detach itself and go to look for something else to attach to usually gordon freeman himself yeah and also sometimes if you successfully manage to blow these guys up using your alternate fire on your smg or using a hand grenade 
speed. Sometimes you'll actually split them in half and then their upper torso will crawl across the ground towards you in a very yeah. creepy fashion as opposed to uh, chasing you and standing upright. And then you crowbar it. That crowbar is powerful in this really game. Good. Really, really good. Really trusty like crowbar. crowbar. yeah. Also, through these travels, while we're being chased by the Combines, we bump into a few Vortigaunts, which are an alien race that come from the Zen realm. However, unlike the first game where we were actually fighting these guys, we seem to have made friends with them now following the uh, attack on the human race by the Combine, and they're now actually helping the Resistance members, which we meet along the way, and uh, these guys actually offer us some of the health packs that James mentioned earlier. They typically always tend to have a little cash for you to reach into. It's also a little bit later on in this section that we finally get the Hovercraft, uh, which is a vehicle provided to us by the Resistance, and we go through a section where we have to solve various physics-related puzzles and drive our hovercraft through trying to unlock gates and things like that on our way to Black Mesa East. No, yes, and uh, this sort of led to some of these puzzles, a couple of inconsistencies with the physics for me. So there's one puzzle in particular where you have to pile some cinder blocks on the end of a seesaw to make it stay slanted so that you can sort of run up and get up to where you need to go to progress. That's right, yeah. And when you've placed the cinder blocks on the back of the seesaw, if you then accidentally brush into them with your legs, they go flying off the seesaw. Flying is probably a little bit too much of um, an exaggeration, but they move, they slide along the floor in the same way that a chair would if you walked into a chair in the game. Right, I guess that interaction of weighing something down while yeah. also having like a minor force moving upwards on it from the counterweight did something weird with the physics but yeah but that was one in particular where i noticed that it was a weird one because you shouldn't just be able to move a cinder block by walking into it slightly it wasn't even like i fully walked into it you know i did mention earlier the the source engine was groundbreaking for its time it definitely wasn't a perfect beast it was yeah. just very impressive in terms of the things it was able to take into account i remember as a kid playing around with gary's mod which gives you a sandbox experience to experiment with all of the physics in the game my mind was blown that every item in the game had its own weight, its own friction, its own buoyancy value, and that they'd fought to incorporate all of that into the game and just let you play with everything. But yeah, obviously, as we're well familiar with games that have quite advanced physics engines, it's never quite perfect and it will always lead to certain weird things happening. We finally arrive at Black Mesa East by hovercraft after defeating a combine helicopter using the turret on our hovercraft, which is actually funnily enough from another version of the helicopter. That's right, the resistance has let us mount one onto our hovercraft as a bit of an upgrade. Exactly, really cool it was too. Fire's lovely. On entering the building, we're greeted by Judith Mossman, who is a kind of proper brown nose to us when we first arrived. She's like really like, oh, oh, Mr. Freeman, it's such an honour to work with you. You're, you're the greatest. There's a reason for that. We later learned from Eli Vance that Judith was actually in a similar programme to Gordon, and Gordon had actually won the job over her at Black Mesa all those years ago. It's brown nosing with a side of you yeah. in the background awkward, yeah such an <laughs> honor to meet you gordon yeah. it should have been me it should have been me <laughs> Judith explains they're working to make teleportation reliable, which is something even the Combine haven't yet mastered. They can teleport to us, but once they're here, they're reliant on local energy fields from Earth. We travel down with Judith, where we are reunited with Eli and Alex. Eli and Judith need to do some thinking around the next steps, so while Golden is waiting, he recommends that we hang out with Alex. Alex tells us we can go play catch with her dog in the meantime who was actually a giant lumbering mechanical creature originally made for Alex by Eli when she was a child. Over the years, Alex has been patching him together and adding parts to Dog, turning him into the metal giant that he now is. Go ahead, Dog. Throw! 
Alex also gives Gordon the gravity gun, also known as the zero-point energy-filled manipulator, which he can now test out by playing fetch with Dog using various heavy objects laying around the yard. Yeah, and just to say we're never going to refer to it as that. It's no, going to be the gravity. This is the gravity gun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Never again will I say its other name. Yeah. <laughs> so the gravity gun is one of the most fun weapons in the game. It allows you to both pull objects towards you as well as rapidly blast them away from you using magnetic manipulation. It's a really fun weapon because it doesn't rely on any ammunition. You just pick up any object that you can, a little bit like the junk jet in Fallout, except that this is much more of a pick up and fire one item at a time rather than loading random bits of junk into it. Very fun weapon to use. And I was trying to use it to score a basket with his dog's ball. Did you manage it? I didn't. Uh... But no, very cool. A very cool concept, I think. I haven't found much use of it in practice yet. I mean, there's a couple of bits we'll come up to in the next section with the saw blades and whatnot. Yeah. Sounds like it needs an upgrade, James, and maybe we'll get into that a little bit in the next episode. Oh, okay. Interesting. The play session with us, Dog, and Alex is interrupted, though, as Black Mesa East suddenly comes under attack from the Combine. We manage to escape, but not before getting separated from Alex and the rest of the crew. With the only other tunnel now blocked off by rubble as a result of the Combine attack, we now need to head through a monster and zombie-infested town called Ravenholm. Thankfully, this town isn't all bad though, as residing there is a man called Father Gregory, who has decided to remain in the town, fill it full of traps, and arm himself to the teeth to exercise his demons. And if I'm not mistaken, this guy is the same voice as Marcus from Borderlands, Marcus Munitions fame. Tear the bad guys a new one, huh? Oh, it could well be, yeah. You're I, right on the I'm money not there. Mistaken, I think you might be right, yeah. I heard this guy and I was like, yes, it's fucking <laughs> Marcus, wicked. And he's obviously, he's a little bit insane because that voice is a little bit insane. Yeah, it, it was. It was. He was wicked, this guy. I loved him. So it's mad motherfucker who's like pretending to be religious and even he sort of knows that it's nonsense. He's like, I need to tend to my flock. Yeah, yeah as he goes like, and yeah, cocks like, his shotgun again. <laughs> and this guy's a legend because he lobs a shotgun at you later and, and the shotgun's wicked. In this he game. does. It is so good for zombies. Also, it fires a little bit more like an actual shotgun spread, which gives you much yeah. more range on it. It's not like your typical video game shotgun which is absolutely lethal within the range of a meter but the moment you've gone beyond that it's like coughing yeah. on someone it's just useless yeah. so this shotgun is fantastic it has some real range on it yeah, and if you get a headshot you're pretty much guaranteed a kill yeah yeah it's not quite 100 percent, but pretty much a side note as well we mentioned it a little bit earlier but you also get the magnum quite early on in this game which is yes. another guaranteed headshot kill it's extremely accurate lovely little gun the magnum especially the magnum and the shotgun really come into their own in the zombie area because you get the one shot headshot with a magnum and the shotgun just fires for days i think you can load what is it like six or eight rounds six rounds yeah. thir and then 30 in the back so you get five clips yeah plus so six clips total real basically. good stuff and i also have to give a shout out to the base pistol you get the nine millimeter my goodness the fire rate it, it's like a jacobs man it fires as quickly as you can click fire rate and accuracy on that thing is powerful it's an awesome yeah. little gun isn't it it doesn't do a great deal of damage but the fire rate makes up for it well, yeah it doesn't do a great deal of damage but the ammo is so plentiful yes. it has a pretty large magazine and those um barnacles you were talking about earlier i didn't really clock the barrel thing until i was out of that area right unfortunately. right 
they? But they're all like five shots dead with that pistol yeah. and you can do that in about three seconds. <laughs> Less. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, it's such a good little weapon. And also I did say it doesn't do much damage. It still is a two hit headshot on the combine, which yeah. you can still do from quite a good bit of range. Honestly, if you're accurate and using a mouse and keyboard, uh, using the pistol is a really viable way of playing. Yeah, and it's my main, if you like. Fair enough, yeah. Crowbar and the pistol are like my main clearance ones and then when you get to like a tough section or this zombie section here shotgun with then the magnum as my backup when i run out of ammo i don't know whether it's just my resident evil influence but for me the kind of the three main guns that need to be good in a game is the pistol the magnum and the shotgun and if any one of those feel off in a game or underpowered it's real hard for me to get on with it yeah well as you know i'm a pistol guy yeah like if if like if there's a nice pistol in a game i'm more than likely going to use that the most and well this, this game's got a nice pistol. it's got two nice pistols <laughs> well, not too nice, yeah. two nice handguns. Yeah, it does. Also traveling away through this town, we fight a couple of different new zombie types. Uh, so we have zombie runners, which are much more agile. They're able to climb up the pipes and ambush us yeah. as we fight along the rooftops. And they can jump at you from quite a distance as well. Pouncing attack. That's actually quite similar yeah. to the hunters in Left 4 Dead 2. And the headcrabs when they're on their own as well. And the headcrabs yeah. that the zombie runners seem to have on them are much more lethal as well. They have like added poison effect once they bite you. And, uh, yeah, and, they're, and they're kind of darker. They're darker. They're, they're like much a, more creepy. Like a blacky green hue. They look even more like spiders than the regular head crabs look like because they've got longer, dark legs. Yeah. And also, they've got this horrifying death noise that sounds a little bit like a maraca. But I don't know. I hate it. I hate about the inner workings of the physiology of that thing that it makes that maraca noise <laughs> when it dies. I don't like it at all. Yeah. Freaky. The other thing, I don't think it's these enemies, it's the poisoned head crabs, and they almost have like one on each shoulder and one on the back or one on the head. And they make like a cow noise. They do. A lot of the zombies make some really horrifying noises in this game, but that one yeah. is like completely muffled because it's just covered in head crabs. And it yeah. looks like a, a person's died and then he's had maybe four or five head crabs fighting over control. Really disturbing enemy design in this game for a game that doesn't yeah. seem that adult. Some of the scenes in it are particularly violent. I even read an article not so long ago where a lot of the team, I believe that they either used imagery of real corpses or they were designing drawings and concepts of real corpses used in the design of some of the gore in this game so some of those corpses there either are pictures of a real corpse kind of embedded onto there or embellished on that i can believe it. yeah it's, it's, it it's can be pretty gruesomely violent at times i hate the dudes that are covered in head crabs because as you say they chuck head crabs at you which beam you as well that guy is a goddamn american football player the uh, shots he can take on you there. <laughs> and these poison head crabs as well they've got a move i don't know if it's a basic attack or what, but they jump you and it basically one shots you but you survive and then your health sort of ticks back up as as the neurotoxin runs out i think it is that's what pops up it says you're now infected by a neurotoxin you can hear your suit speaking to you and it'll say to you yeah. at various times when you take damage it's administering some sort of thing to you that then allows your health to slowly recover that's quite a cool idea for an enemy that will not one-shot you but it will take you down to one so that whatever happens to you the next one will and that's something that yeah. i haven't really seen in a game before because obviously they do loads of damage but then ultimately over time they don't actually do that much damage because it all recovers i think the closest thing is probably uh moon presence in bloodborne it does have that one move that takes you down to one health oh or what is it does it I, i'm not sure that i encountered that it's never hit me you know the one where it charges up and it's super easy to avoid ah uh, it's that yeah that makes sense it's 
if that hits you, it takes you down to one health. Hey, honestly, no matter where you are. For a FromSoft game, that's pretty generous. Usually that would just obliterate you regardless. Always bring it back to FromSoft and Bloodborne somehow, right? Yeah. <laughs> also, to help you fight your way across Ravenholm, Father Grigori has handily left a few different traps available for you to help tackle the zombies. There's fire traps that are made using a sort of electric igniter as well as gas canisters around. You need to turn on the gas and then flick the igniter to cook the zombies. There's also cars suspended by ropes that you can lift and drop on the zombies, which is quite fun. Yeah, that was cool, yeah. There's also spinning traps with blades attached to them that you can crouch down to the ground and then pull the lever and it'll just spin around and take out anything around you, a bit like a helicopter blade. Took me out a few times, that. I like to leave all of mine on, but that did result in my death a couple times as well as you sort of panic and run back into the wrong area. I tried to jump over it more times than I care to admit. But really useful stuff. And also, uh, this area is absolutely littered with sharp pointy heavy objects things like saw blades and various kind of bits of scaffolding and stuff and planks of wood that you can use as well yeah. and you can launch all of them at the zombies using your gravity gun and this was a nice opportunity in the game to make use of the gravity gun because a lot of these enemies are slower and more shambling and they kind of come at you one by one they don't have long ranged attacks like the combine that it gives you a bit more time to think and use your gravity gun if you want to yeah, and this is where I was getting some great use out of it, but this is where I was finding it a bit slow because there were some sections where I was getting, like you say, very slowly, but I was getting swarmed. Yeah. And a lot of times you had maybe two or three things that you had to use in rotation in a single room. Yeah. And I was just finding the whole firing it. And because the physics is so good, so this is a, it's a knock, but it kind of isn't. You'd chuck a saw blade at them. It would cut through them lovely, exactly how you'd expect. Really satisfying, but then it bounces around. So you never know exactly where it's going to go once you actually if you can do it the whole fire and grab as soon as it's cut very that's really really satisfying but i found it quite hard in those sort of tighter corridors it is inconsistent for that it's very yeah. difficult to achieve that consistently uh being able to fire yeah. and immediately recall yeah i've never done it twice in a row did you get much use out of it in this section or were you sort of mixing up because uh, i know there's an achievement for only using your gravity gun through this section which i didn't get i i was, I was enjoying the shotgun way too, too much, much yeah. The shot. yeah exactly <laughs> And the pistol. The, honestly, I, I can't speak highly enough. There's a very good pistol in this game. I was trying to sort of use as many weapons as possible and avoid using the pistol too much. However, I do use the pistol when I get backed into a corner and it never fails. Really, really useful. But no, I was typically trying to use the traps as much as possible. And whenever that failed, I had a spinning saw blade through a gravity gun for backup. And I was often trying to sort of kite enemies as much as possible so I didn't have to keep picking up. So if there was a long alleyway, I would kite maybe five enemies yeah. down and cut them all in half with one too. sword blade which looks yeah. great such a fun little gameplay element there no yeah i must admit i ended up using all the guns i had in this section because i ran out of ammo a lot probably because i wasn't leaving the traps on yeah and enemies do just respawn they do they do which is annoying especially when you get lost a little bit turned around in ravenholm yes. which is very easy to oh, do me yeah I, I was in that that was the longest section for me because i was just in getting circles turned around yeah and, and some of the levers you have to find are really like they blend into the background really nicely this is also before the times of sparkling levers well lit up with light where yeah. everything is signposted to make it easy to find you can genuinely walk past key 
consoles and interactions in this game. Yeah, no map either. But that's fine. But it was the fact that, like, I think you just alluded to there a little bit. The lever that you use to move the platform across towards the end of Ravenholm, it's a yellow lever surrounded by a yellow, like, hand fence, yeah. handrail fence. I missed it three times. Unless you got your flashlight it. on, it's not brightly lit up or anything like that. So, yeah, yeah very easy to do. I, I like that style of game. I, I know why it doesn't exist anymore. But I also do like that kind of immerse yourself in the environment and look around at what you have to do. I think that that's something thing that Half-Life does really well is stop thinking about this like a video game where you need to find the magic key to do the thing. It's like, no, look at this environment. Look at what you can use to achieve where you need to get to. It does that yeah. very well. And if you're looking for it, it does actually give you the solution to all the puzzles really obviously. You just have to actually be observant. Yeah, exactly. Immerse yourself in the environment. Look at what you've yeah. got at your disposal. But no, uh, I think we should uh, get on to the last part of Ravenholm. Do you want to take us out, James? So we finally arrive on the other side of Ravenholm. Say goodbye to Father Grigori. Really emotional goodbye this, because we like him a lot. He's a good guy. I suspect you have little wish to remain in Ravenholm, so I will show you to the mines. We bonded massively in the sort of very short <laughs> 45 minute section that this <laughs> yeah, is. <laughs> maybe, yeah. But yes, we say goodbye to him and we head over to the mines. However, on arriving at the mines, Gordon is told that Eli Vance has been captured by the Combine. He's been taken to a place called Nova Prospect, where we need to head to. It used to be a high security prison, but apparently it's now much, much worse. Gordon now needs to somehow get to Nova Prospect to rescue Eli. And that, listeners, is where we'll end it for this week, with Eli's fate hanging in the balance. Okay, man, that wraps us up for Completionist Corner this week, and with that, that wraps up this episode of Total Pop Mode. Just before we close out, let's ring out the socials. You can, as always, find the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and pretty much anywhere else you get your podcasts by searching for Total Pod Mode. We also post regular video content of our playthrough stream highlights as well as the podcast on our YouTube channel, Total Pod Mode. You can also find us on Twitter by searching for at Total Pod Mode, all one word. And whilst you're there, you can find me at Mr. Bames, and I'm also on Twitch under twitch.tv forward slash Mr. Bames underscore TPM. And you can find me at Hoodafunk on Twitter, and I'm also on Twitch under twitch.tv tv forward slash hoodafunk once again and always a very special thank you to all of our listeners that have made it this far we appreciate you as always thank you very much for keeping the total pod mode nation alive we've still yet to settle on a, a name for our listeners but we're going with total pod mode nation uh in this episode it's <laughs> a good interim title isn't it it's an interim title it's a working title yeah. okay guys thanks again for listening we'll see you next week take care now Bye bye